Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras, and this is the Contreras Report, Issue 106. The end of May 2020 and the beginning of June, and so far the entire month of June, has been a catastrophe for the President of the United States. He couldn't have started it any worse than word leaking out that 36 hours before June 1st started, Donald J. Trump was secretly hustled into the White House underground bunker by the Secret Service for, we are told, his safety. His wife, Melania, and his son, Baron, were also taken to the bunker. Now, the problem with this is, is that there were hundreds of protesters outside the White House chanting, let me breathe. Now, that's what happened. Numerous, numerous media reporters, television, live television, and uh, um, reported print reporters all reported that this was going on. However, President Trump's truth is that, oh, he just went down for an inspection tour to check out the, the, uh, the premises. He said, and I quote, I went to the underground bunker to inspect it, quote unquote. Secret Service told him, he says, might go look at it because you might need it someday. <laughs> that we can laugh out loud at If true, the Secret Service should be fired, every one of them. Trump had to have been taken there when he moved into the White House. Trump says he was in the bunker for a tiny, quote, tiny, unquote, amount of time. Eyewitnesses say otherwise. They say that Trump was rushed to the bunker for nearly an hour while Friday night demonstrators were in Lafayette Park in front of the White House. So say law enforcement sources. The First Lady and Son Baron were there too. Trump claimed black D.C. mayor prohibited D.C. police to confront from confronting protesters. Secret Service is not true. Police were there. Six arrests were made while the Trump family was inside the uh, bunker, and part of that time, and an hour uh, during the hour that um, that uh, Trump was in the bunker. Now. Another catastrophe looming for President Trump is that Trump slides in white evangelical support from almost 80% in March approval. By May 30th, Trump's favorability among white evangelicals fell 15% to 62%, according to the same poll. We should remember that in 2004, President George W. Bush received 80% of the white evangelical vote, 80%. Among white Catholics, though, we have an even more disturbing bit of news for the president. White Catholics are the key swing group that has, in almost every presidential election for the, uh, has voted for uh, the winning president. In the same poll as the evangelicals uh, were measured, His approval among white Catholics has fallen 27 points since March. If Trump can't get more than 51% of white Catholic votes, Mr. Trump cannot win. President Trump has been judged by American women. They are sentencing him, it appears, to the political death sentence of rejecting 
re-election. We've discussed Trump's apparent lie about his and his wife and son's time in the White House bunker during protests outside the White House. This is a huge gender gap. This, this gender gap that I'm talking about, about women, that Trump doesn't look like he can overcome. In the Monmouth University poll, Joe Biden has a 19-point advantage over Trump among women. In a new Pew poll, 56% of women call themselves Democrats. That's a high. That's a high. Since 1984, 52-53% of all presidential voters have been women. If that margin holds Mr. the 19-point gender gap, Mr. Trump is done for. 2016, Trump lost women to Clinton by 13 points, while he carried men by 11 points. Do the math. If those women, if, if he loses to women by 19 points, he loses. Now let's talk about the White House press secretary. I had some comments about her last time. Well, she's done it again. She, Kaylee McEnany lies again. I thought Sandra Huckabee was bad, a bad liar. Kaylee McEnany is even worse. She's a Harvard Law School graduate. Give me a break. She said, when questioned by the press about tear gas being used on Monday night's uh, uh, hassle with the protesters in Lafayette Square, protesters that were forcibly moved away so the president could, could walk on, on that uh, square. Anyway, she said, no tear gas was used in the Lafayette Square crowd dispersal. Technically, she was right. But revulsive gas was used. That's a fact. She lied. Unmarked federal officers were used to shove that crowd of peaceful protesters, more mostly peaceful protesters, Federal officers were used without identification patches on their uniforms. We don't know who they were. Horse cops were used. That was on, on the TV. Shields, plastic shields were used to beat people over the head, and batons were used. Billy clubs, they used to be called. The crowd was mostly peaceful. Hundreds of feet of videotape are available to prove that. The crowd was cleared under someone's orders with violence so that the president and, a, and his party could walk through the square to the St. John's Episcopal Church so he could have a picture taken. It was a photo op. His daughter Ivanka carried a Bible, which I'm sure she does all the time, especially the New Testament, seeing as she's Jewish. Chuckle, chuckle. Ivanica carried a Bible in her big floppy purse that she handed to the president who stood next to the church sign, St. John's Episcopal Church, didn't give a speech, just stood there holding that Bible up for a stupid photo op. Reminds me, at least, of photos taken by Donald J. Trump Jr., in Africa when he shoots and kills defenseless wild animals. 
Now, I used to be a hunter, so don't don't get me wrong. But to go to Africa to shoot wildebeests or whatever, and then have stand for photos with your kill, and you don't even eat the stuff. You know, you shoot animals that are rare and endangered. Oh, sure, you got a permit to do it, and you paid five, ten thousand dollars for it. Whoopee! I'm sorry. Doesn't show much in the form of huevos for Donald J. Jr. Back to Kaylee McEnany and her lie. No tear gas used in front of the uh, White House so Trump could walk to the church to wave a Bible around for a picture. On Friday, part that happened on Monday night. On Friday, even after all these denials, the park police who were in charge of the effort Monday night to clear the square said earlier statements denying use of tear gas were wrong. Says earlier statement was a mistake given that what was used quite could cause exactly the same things that tear gas does, similar eye and lung irritation. Tear gas does that. Tuesday's statement after Monday's uh, evening uh, aggressively cleaning of the square in front of the White House so Trump could walk on it said, quote, smoke canisters and pepper balls, not gas, were used, unquote. The mistake was that those two items caused similar eye and lung irritation, said the park police. McEnany lied. She said no tear gas, and then she said no chemicals were used. Here from the official transcript issued by her office after Tuesday's press conference, this is the official release from the White House press office. Quote, would you have gassed and pummeled protesters to clear the question? Would you have gassed and pummeled protesters to clear the park so the president could have a photo op? McEnany, quote, no tear gas was used and no rubber bullets were used, unquote. Question. Chemical agents were used. Answer. So, again, no tear gas was used, no rubber bullets were used. Question. Why are you making a distinction? McEnany. Let me... Dot, dot, dot. Question. Chemical agents were used. Question. We talked to an Episcopal... Episcopal priest, who said she was gassed. Others say they were tear gassed in the area. McEnany, well, no one was tear gassed. Let me make that clear. There's been, that's been confirmed by the Department of Defense and by Park Services as well. Except, of course, two days later, the park police said, well, yeah, it wasn't exactly tear gassed. But it did the same thing. Now, I have some experience with tear gas, not from a demonstration, not from a protest demonstration. Sorry for, for those of you that think I'm a wild-eyed liberal. No, no. When I was in the U.S. Marine Corps, the United States Marines, while providing me with infantry training at Camp Pendleton, it was called Infantry Training Regiment, ITR, part of the training was... Exposure to tear gas, what we commonly call tear gas. I don't know what else it was called. I know it wasn't Zyklon B. It didn't kill anybody. But I can tell you this. 
that in being taught how to properly use gas mask, you are actually exposed to the tear gas at that time in a Quonset hut. I don't know what they use now because that was 1959. Uh, actually, it was 1960 by the time I did this. Uh, and you, you put your, you're shown how to put your mask on properly. You test it. And then you walk into a Quonset hut along with a bunch of other Marines. And uh, the doors are sealed shut. And tear gas, uh, what we call tear gas, is released. And uh, then on, uh, on an order, you are to take the tear gas, uh, the gas mask off. And let me tell you, you don't last but a couple of seconds. It is revulsive. You want to throw up and, and, oh, you can't breathe. And if you breathe, you want to throw up even more. And then they open the door and you all go rushing out and coughing and hacking and throwing up. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. But when you're tear gassed, regardless of what it's called, you know it. And the people that are observing with TV cameras know it too, because they watch people retching and vomiting all over the place. I know I've been there. Now, Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany says that Attorney General Barr ordered Monday night's clearing of Lafayette Square. But Attorney General Barr says, not me. No, the Associated Press says Bart told it that the Monday night melee by cops on horses and fired chemicals at uh, protesters who were peaceful when he wandered on the scene. Quote, I'm not involved in giving tactical commands like that, unquote. My attitude was, this is a quote now, quote, my attitude was get it done, but I didn't say it. So I guess the park police <laughs> just read his mind. Now, here's the interesting thing. There are people who, who support Donald Trump no matter what he does, no matter what he says. David Limbaugh is a lawyer. He uh, writes a column. He's famous only, and he writes a column only because of his brother, Rush Limbaugh, who doesn't write a column. Anyway, David Limbaugh writes fiction about and in support of Donald Trump. Let's try this example. Quote, he, meaning the president, didn't bring the coronavirus to our shores, but he helped it when it got here, when he ignored warnings it was coming, and when he didn't restrict flights from Europe. Sure, he stopped flights from China, but we know that most coronaviruses infections came from Europe, not China. That's why New York was the epicenter, because that's where all the flights from Europe, well, most of the flights from Europe land. Two, quote, he, meaning Trump, has not created an atmosphere of racial disharmony in this country, unquote. What a Limbaugh lie, or is it a misstatement or misinterpretation of Trump's own words? Did he not refer to Haiti and African nations, all black countries, as shithole countries? Didn't he refer to 170 million Mexicans and Mexican-Americans as rapists, criminals, and drug smugglers? Did he not say Mexico does not send its best to the U.S.? Did he not imply that only a few, his exact words, some, Mexicans are good people. 
Did he not accuse all Mexicans of ripping off the United States by scheming to steal billions of dollars through NAFTA, a criminal scheme constructed by Mexico to steal jobs from Americans as well as billions of dollars in money? Did he not accuse a federal judge of being dishonest, corrupt, and unfair specifically to Donald Trump because he is a Mexican, the judge. Didn't he change his wording when he found out the judge was an American to he was, of all things, corrupt, etc., because of his Hispanic heritage? And then there's Charlottesville, in which he somehow managed to find good people on both sides of that huge anti Everybody but Whites episode in Charlottesville, Virginia, in which one person died and many others were injured. Trump has been a racist 24-7 since he announced for president. Oh, I've seen on, uh, on One American News, they had a feature about all the things and the pals he had and that he gave money to Jesse Jackson, who then complimented him. Well, of course, Jesse Jackson takes money from anybody and compliments anybody that gives him money. And then, he's, he's, well, he helped Michael Jackson, the singer, when he was in trouble. And, and he was a friend with the black uh, boxing promoter and with Mike Tyson, former convict and uh, the former heavyweight champion of the world. And that proves what a, what a non-racist he is. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, whoever uh, says that simply doesn't know the facts. When he was 29, Donald J. Trump was president of the Trump Real Estate Development Company. And he was sued he and his father were sued by the United States government for the largest case of racial discrimination in housing in the history of the United States up to that point. And even though he and his father fought it and they hired Roy Cohn, the unscrupulous, ridiculously aggressive mouthpiece, Roy Cohn as a lawyer, they lost. The Trumps lost that case. Yes, they settled. They, got, they were given a way out, but it cost them millions of dollars. They had to turn over applications for rentals in their 14,000 apartments that they controlled to a black organization or a black national organization called the Urban League, mostly black. The Trumps couldn't even process applications for rentals because they were, quote, unquote, guilty but not found guilty in the court of law. They settled the case. That was in 1975. Donald J. Trump was 29 years old. He knew what he was doing. He was not some punk kid uh, right out of college. I'm sorry. But the facts are Donald J. Trump has been a racist all his adult life. The biggest thing that happened in the first week of June, which will come back to haunt Donald J. Trump, probably more than anything else, other than the massive, massive demonstrations all over the world. But I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. Retired Marine Corps General James Mattis, former Secretary of Defense, speaks out on Trump. And he called him 
quote, a threat to the Constitution when he threatens troops in the street. He said this in an interview in Atlantic Magazine. He talked about, quote, the bizarre photo op with uniformed military leadership, unquote. He talked about, quote, Americans in uniform serve the American people, not a political agenda, unquote. The other four-star Marine general that was in Trump's life for a while uh, as his chief of staff and secretary of Department of of, uh, Homeland Security, John Kelly, agrees with General Mattis. But he's not the only one. Admiral Mullen of the Navy, retired Joint Chief of Staff, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, Chairman, quote, we have a military to fight our enemies, not our own people. Our military should never be called to fight our own people as enemies of the state. And frankly, for me, it was a really, it really tipped me over. What were they calling about? President Trump tweeted that he demanded that the American armed forces, the active military, the regular military, not the reserves, not the National Guard, but the regular military be deployed to the streets to forcibly put down the growing protests. Yes, there was some violence. Yes, there was some arson. Yes, there were some people arrested. Yes, yes, yes. But the protests have grown and grown. And we're now talking about hundreds of thousands of people in the United States, in New Zealand, in Great Britain, in Germany, in Mexico, in France, all over the world. They're demonstrating in support of American blacks who have been murdered by police officers throughout the entire United States. Not just George Floyd in Minneapolis who was literally killed by a policeman kneeling on his neck. The policeman who's been charged with second degree murder, by the way. Protests are everywhere. And the larger the protest, even here, I, I talked about it last time uh, in, in San Diego in uh, County, in La Mesa, a town of 57 people, almost entirely all white and, and uh, some Hispanic and a tiny number of blacks. Violence there, arson there, banks burnt to the ground. Yes, but that was a week ago. This last weekend, hundreds, and I, I heard in Los Angeles on the news station that 50,000 people were marching up there. No one was arrested that I know of. No one was, uh, was throwing bottles and bricks and, and burning buildings down. So in light of that, the president is demanding troops on the ground. I can imagine with masks and, and uh, tear gas and horses and uh, uh, batons. Yeah. I'm sorry. But getting back to General Mattis, he... His nickname was Mad Dog Mattis. You'll recall that President Trump just had a conniption fit. And when he appointed him, he thought it was the greatest thing. He, he bragged about it to his audiences and to his speech in his speeches that he was appointing Mad Dog Mattis and the people would cheer. Well, they're not cheering so much anymore. But here's one that is particularly interesting. Pat Buchanan, who's, now, who's older than I am, is in his 80s, 
uh, I think he's 84 or so, well, something like that. He ran for president a couple times. He was uh, a Nixon staff member and a Reagan staff member when they were president. And uh, he wrote over the years columns and, and books. And uh, he wrote Liberal Mush from the Mad Dog, a column. Quote, the nation was united in revulsion at the criminal cruelty that led to George Floyd's death. The nation was united in backing an enraged people's right to protest that atrocity. Pat Buchanan wrote that. But then, Buchanan, quote, one finds not a word of sympathy or support for the police bearing the brunt of mob brutality for defending the communities they serve while defending the constitutional right protesters to curse them as racist and rogue cops. Really? Buchanan, quote, It was General Andrew Jackson and the troops he pulled together for the Battle of New Orleans who defeated the British and saved the Union. Pat Buchanan, you are such a liar! You are such a liar! First of all, it was the pirates, the outlaws, who carried the battle uh, that day. Secondly, the battle occurred long after the war had already ended and had been negotiated and the peace had been negotiated. That battle took place months after the war had ended, just that the word hadn't gotten to him. The general, speaking of uh, General Mattis, the general has defected to the resistance. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you folks about Patrick J. Buchanan. I think that's his middle initial. Pat Buchanan, when he was in high school, used to call his friends over. He lived in Washington, D.C., staunch Roman Catholic family. He had uh, relatives that fought in the Civil War on the Confederate side, which was highly unusual, but uh, because very few Catholics actually did. So anyway, uh, Pat Buchanan and his high school buddies used to get on their front lawn in Washington, D.C. and call out the Negro maid. And when she came out the door, they would hose her down with a water hose, laughing and cackling all the time. He and his high school buddies, they went to a Catholic school, by the way, would take and throw rocks at buses carrying blacks in Washington, D.C. And one time when he was accosted by a couple of police officers, he and his high school buddies beat up the cops so bad that the one cop had to go to the hospital because Pat Buchanan had kicked him when he was down a, a number of times. Pat Buchanan was tried and convicted in court, but punishment was deferred because his father, a well-known uh, accountant in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, promised the court that he would straighten out the boy. And he managed, despite this criminal conviction, to get him into Georgetown University. And lo and behold, he did behave himself. This was Pat Buchanan, and who is now standing up for Donald Trump and saying, oh, and the police. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. That's right. To top it off, He's calling General Mattis out, who was in the Marine Corps for, what, 40 years? Four stars? General? 
Pat Buchanan, when he was called just before Vietnam by the draft board, he came in and he pled bad knees. And he produced letters from doctors saying that his knees were really bad. So he was not drafted. But he managed to play college basketball after that at Georgetown University. Hmm. He could play college basketball on a sport that's very rough on knees, but he could not serve the United States of America. Interesting, Buchanan, interesting. We read in the Bloomberg report, Defense Secretary Mark Esper on troops on the street, quote, the option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Take that, President Trump. Your own Department of Defense Secretary, your own Defense Secretary says, nah. Twice in my life, I have seen uh, troops deployed in their own country. Once in the U.S. in Los Angeles in 1992, and once in Mexico in 2006. In Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles exploded the night four white L.A. police officers, one was actually a Mexican-American, were wrongly found not guilty of criminally beating a black man for the serious crime of driving a car faster than the speed limit. The National Guard was called out by, this, this takes a little bit of description here. Pete Wilson, the former mayor of San Diego and former U.S. Senator was governor. He was a friend of mine, has been a friend of mine to this day since 1963, when he first came to San Diego after passing the bar exam and uh, uh, leaving, leaving the Marine Corps and going to law school. He called out, he was warned what was going on. At six o'clock that evening, the request for uh, National Guard came in at like five o'clock. At six o'clock, he officially ordered the National Guard to Los Angeles to, or activated the National Guard and sent it to Los Angeles uh, to help put down what was a burgeoning riot, huge riot that eventually killed over 60 people and caused $50 billion in damage. But guess what? They didn't have any ammunition. The ammunition was in Cap Roberts, which is up by Palos, um, by San Luis Obispo. And the helicopters they sent to pick up ammunition to take it to the National Guard in uh, Los Angeles uh, couldn't lift the, the weight. They were, the, the helicopters weren't in good shape. So instead of just asking the federal government to borrow ammunition from Camp Pendleton, which was just uh, what, 50 miles away, he asked for troops under the Insurrection Act. President George H.W. Bush said, okay, that was President 41, if I remember, wasn't it? And um, uh, he sent 1,500 Marines. Now, later he sent some soldiers from Fort Ord, but that was a couple hundred miles away. Marines were up there shortly, 1,500 of them. So that was that um, uh, the deployment of American troops in Los Angeles. Everything went wrong with the National Guard. 
That's why the Marines had to go to the rescue. The riot ended. In 2006, I was in Tijuana, Baja California, when new President Felipe Calderon ordered the Mexican army into the streets to fight the drug cartels. As Mexican soldiers entered the city of Tijuana in a gigantic truck convoy, Tijuana police lined world-famous Revolution Avenue, applauding the soldiers, me included. I was applauding them too. We were applauding the soldier-filled trucks as they drove by. Now, President Trump is threatening to order the army out onto city streets to fight protesters, but who are 99% peaceful. And that threat has brought opposition from retired four-star generals and admirals. A retired Marine officer named Wallace Gregson wrote in the National Interest publication that I get, quote, American forces must be dangerous to our enemies, but their countrymen are not the enemy. Mr. Trump, pay attention. I know you're backtracking off of it now because so many people oppose you, except for U.S. Senator Tom Cotton of um, Arkansas who uh, had gotten in trouble for writing a forceful uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times that the New York Times has disavowed. They should, you know, whether or not they should print it is beside the point. Uh, that's okay with me. But Cotton is a former naval uh, army officer. He fought in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, I forgot which. And uh, deserves to be commended for that because he went after law school. He didn't have to go, but he volunteered. And for that, I commend him. For, for play acting like a big mouth uh, di- little tin pot dictator in some South American country in Paraguay or something like that, though I don't commend him. The guy is smart. He went to Harvard, undergraduate law school, and he's carrying on like a tin pot dictator. Yes, he's running for president in 2024, because no matter what happens with Trump this November, 2024 will be a presidential election again. And Trump, even if he wins this November, can't be on the ballot. I know he doesn't know that, but that's that's the way things are. Police departments. Let's talk about police departments. Uh, those of you who know me know that I come from a police family. My stepfather, who married my mother when I was eight years old, uh, was a San Diego police officer, medically retired in 1963, had been the youngest plainclothes detective in uh, uh, San Diego police history. Uh, was a crackerjack uh, forgery guy, and uh, I, uh, I volunteered. Actually, he volunteered me to uh, to help uh, police sting operations uh, to catch forgers who would buy uh, cars from individuals on a weekend with a check that turned out to be no good. And so this guy was doing it every weekend, and uh, I, a couple of times I I worked as the sting. Uh, guy in uh, in those operations with a number of police departments and uh, and the FBI because uh, uh, cars uh, were federal jurisdiction. Anyway, um, so I've been involved with the police since I was a teenager. I mean, on the on the right side of police. I have two brothers. One is a retired deputy sheriff in San Diego County, who formerly was with the National City Police Department in San Diego County, and formerly with the Santa Barbara City Police in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, the other brother was uh, joined the El Cajon Police Department for college money when he was uh, 21, and rose to the rank of lieutenant before he was retired for medical reasons. 
So I come from a police family, okay? And I am not anti-police. I am anti-certain things police do. There are 18,000 police departments in the United States. That includes sheriff's departments. But there are no federal standards. That hardly makes any sense. In a Wall Street Journal poll, by a two-to-one margin, Americans are more concerned by police action, action that killed George Floyd than actions by the protesters, and that includes arson and rioting. 80% feel the country is spiraling out of control. That's not because of the protesters. Trump's acting DHS, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf says, quote, I do not think we have a systemic racism problem with law enforcement officers across the country. Yet, I'm sure many of you saw the videotape taken by a phone, uh, phone camera of a 75-year-old man who wanted to talk to police, pushed by two officers to the ground, hit his head, suffered great injury. The two cops who pushed him have been charged with second-degree assault, arrested, arraigned, and released without bond with a July 20th court appearance. And they were uh, immediately um, um, put on unpaid leave, even before they were arrested. But here's the thing that, that irritates me. 57 fellow Buffalo Special Ops officers from a special unit resigned from the unit to protest the arrest of the two. Well, let me tell you guys something. You're lucky I'm not your boss because I would have fired all 50 cent of, a, of you. Every single one of you, I would have fired for cause. Policemen cannot do that. Yeah, you can stick up for your friend. You can help raise legal fees. You can do this. You can even have demonstrations in their favor. But you cannot forsake your job. These guys were charged with a criminal act. It's up to the jury now or a judge to decide how to proceed with these guys, not you. Oh, you're lucky I'm not there in charge of the Buffalo Police Department. A little bit of immigration. United States senators, Republican U.S. senators, ask the White House not to cut the number of work permits, legal work permits, because of the coronavirus. They are Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, John Cornyn from Texas, Mike Crapo from Idaho, Crapo uh, from Idaho, Jim Risch from Idaho, Mike Rounds from South Dakota, Todd Young from Indiana, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Dan Sullivan, by the way, a Marine Corps Reserve uh, Colonel from Alaska, and James Lankford uh, from Oklahoma. Tom Cotton from Arkansas says open jobs should go to Americans first. The man doesn't know much because most workers in Arkansas poultry plants aren't Americans. Senator, your statement that 50,000 Arkansans are out of work is ludicrous and stupid. You know, you may be a bright guy from Harvard, but you don't even see your own labor statistics in Arkansas. Who's going to work those poultry plants? If the Mexicans, Mexican immigrants are the only ones who will work there, who's going to take their place? Come on, Senator, tell us. Name them. Show us their pictures. 
line them up in front of a microphone to say, I'll take that job. Oh, I didn't take it before because it's really hard work, but I'll take it now. No, no, that doesn't work. Senator Tom Cotton, you may be angling to run for president, and I may not be around in 2024, but if I am, you won't get my support. More politics and immigration combined. Congressman Steve King of Iowa, the congressman with the big ignorant mouth who replaced racist Tom Tancredo of Colorado to the, become the best known racist in the House of Representatives, was shot down in the GOP primary on Tuesday, the June 2nd, by a younger, more intelligent state senator named Randy Feenstra. Tancredo, by the way, was labeled a racist by Congressman Daryl Issa, who also called for Tancredo to be expelled from the Republican Party. Those of you who know me know that I have connections to Daryl Issa, that I was uh, in his first campaign for the House. I was a consultant to him and have consulted with him over the years. He called Tancredo a racist. That's why he wanted him expelled from the Republican Party. That and Tancredo was raising money to help people run against Republican incumbents. That's why he wanted, those are the two reasons why he called for Tancredo to be expelled from the Republican Party. King was in Congress for 20 years. He lost 45.7% to 36%. Uh, there were six candidates total. In other words, uh, Feinstra and uh, four others ran against King. Without the other four candidates, Feinstra would have won with more than 60%. I am so glad Stephen King was, was beaten badly. King was stripped of his committee assignments last year. Feinstra and the other primary candidates did not bring up his years of racist comments about illegal aliens from Mexico. They all campaigned on his being expelled from committees. Thus, they said, he could not represent his district. King almost was defeated in 2018 by a Democrat in the most Republican district in Iowa. The GOP is expected now, with Feinstein, to keep the seat in November. The district was won by Donald Trump in 2016 by 30 points. Now, a little more politics. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, or former chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, says he will block any Trump appointees that come up to his committee until Trump explains why he fired any inspector in generals as required by law. The law requires the president give notice with an explanation, a detailed explanation of why he's firing an inspector general 30 days before the firing. Trump fired the intelligence community attorney general, Michael, I mean, um, inspector general, Michael Atkinson, and State Department Inspector General Steve Linick without delivering, as required, an explanation 30 days prior to their firing, as required by the Inspector General Reform Act enacted in 2008. It's been around for a while. Grassley sent letters on April 8th and a follow-up on May 18th. Trump never answered with an explanation as to the reasons both were fired. So let's see you get some appointments through Chuck Grassley. This week, we celebrated D-Day, the 6th of June. 676 years ago, 
the largest military action, single military action in the history of the world occurred. You all remember the day. What I found out this week also was that we had to, to this, this moment, 34,500 U.S. troops in Germany, still 76 years after D-Day, until now without any discussion with Angela Merkel, Germany's leader, without any discussion whatsoever, without any official notification, President Trump announced that he's cutting 9,400 soldiers, one-fourth of our presence in Germany, and bringing them home. There were no discussions. Germany is our most important NATO member, uh, ally. Here's what Liz Cheney, the number, the third-ranked Republican in the House, said. This is dangerously misguided policy. The cause of freedom will be in peril. I mentioned earlier that there were protests all over the world about this George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. And yes, New Zealand, Australia, Mexico, all over Europe, Great Britain, and all over Europe. And in Armenia, in the capital of Armenia, Yerevan, Americans for Black Justice gathered in front of the American embassy to hold up signs pleading support for Black Lives Matter. There were a dozen protesters. Yeah, big deal, a dozen. Maggie Ovian, an American, says, quote, why does this affect me? I'm only an Armenian-American because of the injustice perpetrated against the Armenians a century ago during the genocide which displaced my ancestors to the U.S., quote, unquote. Come on. You're, you're a silly little girl. So your grandparents went to America. You blame it on the alleged genocide of a century ago. But you can't tell me that your family didn't wind up better off because Armenia is a, is a failed state, a puppet state of the Russians, and everybody, most everybody's in poverty. Give me a break. You sound like President Trump. Nothing is your fault. It's the Turks that did it. The Turks killed some Armenians. We all know that. A hundred years ago. What has that got to do with today? How does she explain the results of an Anti-Defamation League survey of over 100 countries? 53,000 people were surveyed that found that Greece was number one, the number one anti-Semitic nation in Europe, and Armenia, where she is sitting and live, standing on now and living in now, Armenia was number two, the number two worst anti-Semitic nation in Europe. 58% of Armenians surveyed indicated or, conclu or the conclusion was that they were anti-Semitic by their answers to a whole series of questions. In Mexico, where I'm sitting right now, 24%. That's too much, but still, 24% is a hell of a lot less than 58%. Germany, by the way, only 15% were surveyed as anti-Semitic or concluded to be anti-Semitic. Interesting. Oh, the U.S., you ask, 9%. Hardly. Hardly worth even counting. 
Okay. We've watched the protests grow all week. We've watched them, uh, uh, some with violence, some without violence. And interestingly enough, this is nowhere near as bad as it has been in the United States in the past. In the United States, we have had race riots going back to the 1860s when uh, uh, Negroes were still slaves. Race riots in America, the top 10. Okay, we're going to start off with number 10. The Watts riot in 1965 in South Central Los Angeles left 34 dead, 3,500 people were arrested. Interestingly enough, I was there the night it started. I wasn't there there. I was at the airport. I had just flown in from San Francisco. I was getting ready to work for uh, uh, George Christopher, the former mayor of San Francisco, who was running for governor. And I had had a meeting with him when he offered me the job. And I was heading home. And I was at the Los Angeles airport changing planes to San Diego and ran into an old college professor of mine named Jim Hinkle. And he said, what are you doing? And I told him, he goes, well, come on. Uh, I just dropped off a friend at the airport here and uh, I'll drive you back. And I said, fine. We drove right through the intersection of the Imperial Highway at about a mile west of the airport. And there was a crowd of people and blocking most of the intersection. We had to go around them. We didn't know that that was the start of the August 1965 Watts riot. 34 dead, 3,500 people arrested. Number nine, Detroit, June 1943. The first black riot. All race riots prior to that were whites on blacks. This one was blacks actually revolting. 34 dead, 1,800 arrested. Number eight, New Orleans, July 1866. 44 dead. That was a Ku Klux Klan deal. They hunted down every black they could find and killed them. Number seven, Detroit, July 1967, uh, Detroit again. 43 dead, 2,000 buildings destroyed, 7,300 people arrested. Number six, Memphis, May 1866, another Ku Klux Klan thing, 48 dead. Los Angeles, April, May 1992. So Detroit made it twice, the top 10 list, and Los Angeles made it twice. Only this one, 63 people died and $50 billion worth of damage. I was present to see some of this. In fact, my favorite photo that came out of the riot, I started to write a book about it, but got tangled up doing something else, never got around to finishing it. But my favorite photo was uh, a Korean shop owner in Koreatown, which, by the way, is 70%. Hispanic, but uh, I remember him standing there with a cigarette dangling from his lip and with a nine millimeter pistol, semi-automatic pistol, arms straight out, shooting. And he was shooting at potential looters. And I'll never forget that picture. And the blacks who, they were all black perpetrators that were doing this, uh, they got, were in for a big surprise because in Korea, everybody at 18 has to serve in the army unless they're physically disabled, everybody. No deferments. No Donald J. Trumps running around Korea once they get to be 18. Okay, number four, Manhattan, July 1870-1871, the Orange Riots. Irish Catholics and Irish Protestants battled on the streets when the Protestants insisted on a parade to balance off the St. Patty Parade uh, held every year. 70 dead in 71. 
Protestants protected by 5,000 armed American law enforcement and National Guard troops. Number three, Tulsa, Oklahoma, May, June, 1921. Oklahoma said 39 people died. Red Cross says 300 people died. A white mob attacked black men, women, and children and slaughtered them on the spot. Finally, Oklahoma finally recognized the massacre officially in 2001. Number two, Atlanta, September 1906. 25 to 100 died. Nobody knows for sure. Whites killed all blacks. Number one draft riot. Number one, New York City. The draft riot of 1863, which turned into a race riot because Irish immigrants were unemployed. Along came the draft instituted by President Lincoln on July uh, 11th of uh, 1863. There were no federal troops in the city because the Battle of Gettysburg had just been fought two weeks before and they were still over there. When the Civil War started, New York City Mayor Fernando Wood called for the city to secede and join the South. New York City was very partial to the South for some reason. In 1863, the United States passed a draft law, but a rich man could buy his way out by paying a $300 fine or paying someone to take his place. Whites without money had to go. Blacks weren't drafted because they weren't allowed to serve at that point. In New York City, most of the poor men were Irish white men, mostly Irish Catholic. Irish men were unhappy because they had to compete with newly emancipated Negro men who still weren't allowed in the army. The draft started July 11th. July 13th, mostly Irish New York City firemen exploded with anger and burned engine company number 33 to the ground and uh, their firehouse to the ground and then went on 3rd Avenue and were burning businesses and smashing windows. Uh, and suddenly, when they found black men, they killed them. They especially concentrated on businesses that were known to employ black men. They also attacked homes of prominent abolitionists. They attacked colored orphans, the Colored Orphans Asylum with 200 children inside. The children escaped, but estimates of killed are as high as 1,000 people. Only 120 were officially reported to police, of which 106 were documented as black men. Though this was the best month of the Civil War for the U.S., what with the, uh, as far as winning battles, they won Gettysburg and Vicksburg. They broke the siege of of Vicksburg uh, in, in July, and it was the best month for the Union. President Lincoln had to do what President Trump and wannabe President Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas want to do. Lincoln had to send 4,000 Union troops to quell the insurrection by Irish men, egged on by Southern spies. One man was arrested and convicted for the riot. Only one. And that was the worst riot, draft, anti-slavery, anti-black, whatever the reason, the worst riot in American history. Okay, there, there are still other things that I could talk about, but it's hard to do in, uh, when you're limited in time, and, and we do have some limits. I want to thank you for being there 
This is Raul Lowry Contreras, and this is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the United States of America. Thank you for being there, and we'll talk to you soon.